Friendship. Welcome to the Pilgrim Song. Hello and welcome to the Pilgrim Song, episode 26. I'm Alexander. And I'm Charlie. And we're your favorite interracial friends talking about Jesus. So glad to spend another week with y'all. Uh, we had a really fun episode last week. We did a Q&A and that was, again, super fun. We really enjoyed recording that one. Um, so, But we also are excited for a lot of other things that we're doing with this channel, with this podcast. And that includes the starting of our blog. And Lord willing, I will be up on Friday. Uh, and that will give you the opportunity to not only hear what we talk about, but also just read an extra thing as you go through the week. Uh, hopefully with some extra encouragement and plus in, in later days there will also be merch so we're excited for that as well um, <clears throat> so that, that's pretty much else all that on housekeeping terms uh, but this episode we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a subject I think has been neglected how do you feel like this subject has been for highly sure. neglected yeah, I've probably only heard like one lesson on it in my entire life one oh man now that you th- now that you say something, have I heard? I don't know. We're going to be talking about friendship, which is probably evident from our introduction before. Um, we're going to be talking about that uh, because we think this has been highly neglected. We don't really talk about what a healthy friendship looks like, what a just biblical friendship looks like, uh, and how we treat one another and all that good stuff. So we're going to be going through and talking about four characteristics or four traits that we think really show what a biblical friendship looks like and how we... Uh, how we work together, right? So, before we get into this, Charlie, how, how would you define friendship? Yeah, so I think, like, friendship itself is the bond, specifically, I think, between two people. Mm-hmm. Um, a bond that's like, it's a, you know, platonic bond between two people is what I would, is what I would say, specifically, um, that are very close, um, you know, that, that are willing to share with each other things that you probably wouldn't share with anybody else i mm. guess like a deep a deep bond if that makes sense gotcha. oh. I, I agree i that's what my definition would border on like this idea of it's a platonic intimacy like it doesn't mm. go to the point of naturally a wife or even in a lot of ways um like a family where you're literal blood but you're as close as you can get yeah um and that has significance and a lot of importance, especially as we talk about how we live our lives as Christians. So friendship is important. And we want to talk about how we can make our friendships uh, more important in our lives and more dedicated to Christ in them. Uh, our first story is going to come from Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a great example and a great book. It's only four chapters if you haven't read it. Uh, it's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, but if you know the beginning of Ruth, or if, if you don't, uh, Naomi is a lady who is from Israel. She has left Israel because of a famine that's there, and now she is headed to Moab. Once uh, she heads to Moab, her husband dies and her two sons die. And naturally, in this culture, the ancient Near Eastern culture that she lives in, she's a woman, an old woman, who has no abilities, no uh forward or upward mobility like none of that type of stuff so as much improvement as we have in our 
modern culture, it was far from that in the ancient Near East. So Naomi is in a very vulnerable vulnerable position, and so are her two daughter-in-laws, Naomi or Orpa and Ruth. So we're going to be talking about. Uh, I'm going to be reading a section out of there. So if you want to turn over and look in Ruth, Ruth chapter one, starting in verse, uh, I'm going to start in verse six. It says. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is extremely, exceedingly bitter to me. For your sake, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. So, those are probably the most recognized words in the book of Ruth. It's a great book otherwise, but... Those are really impactful, and we see Ruth really putting her life on the line for her mother-in-law. Do you have any thoughts on just the introduction to Ruth's story here? You have any, oh yeah, I mean, has to do with <clears throat> Ruth is a, is obviously an excellent character, and Naomi as well in the Bible. Um, you know, obviously Ruth gets a lot of credit throughout mm-hmm. it, uh, which is is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but Naomi should as well, and I think this is one of the most beautiful relationships that we see in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, between Ruth and Naomi, and we see that continue throughout it, uh, even when Ruth, you know, meets Boaz, and we see their relationship begin, and what happens with that, right? She still never forgets about Naomi and leaves mm-hmm. Naomi throughout that, and so, uh, you know, and you get a cool contrast because you get Ruth and Boaz and their their relationship, but then you also have Ruth and Naomi, which is a different relationship, and so you kind of see the difference between like what we were talking about, like a platonic friendship versus like a you know, non-platonic relationship, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, husband yeah. and wife kind of relationship. So you see the difference there in the book. I think it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> again, in this story, what we have is Naomi giving good advice for Ruth to go and do this. It's honestly like foolishness because Ruth does not have again upward mobility. She doesn't have a husband. She doesn't have kids. She's got nothing. And uh, no doubt she doesn't have any money either. So you bring these two, one older woman, one younger woman, out on a road going back to Israel. Anything could happen to them. All sorts of awful things could happen to them. Um, 
But Ruth chooses to be loyal. And that's the first lesson about friendship that I that we want to emphasize is loyalty. Because that's something that as much as we don't want to admit is a part of our culture, but being disloyal is just kind of a part of how it is. As soon as you get what you want, you stab somebody in the back. Um, everything is about what you can do to build yourself up. And the reality of friendship is that it's cool when your friends can buy you cool stuff for birthdays. You know, you always wanted when you were younger. I, I know I love this. You invite like 20 people to your birthday party. So everybody brings you an awesome gift. The more you grow, you realize that friendship is built in these crucibles. In this, we have to travel from Moab back to Israel by ourselves, limited food, um, in the heat, all this stuff alone. All we have is each other and God. And that's where friendships are really built, is in the times of adversity, when you have nobody else, when you have nothing else, and it's just those people you can put your trust in. So that's a really important aspect of friendship is how loyal we are to each other. And considering how the Lord has been loyal to us, that is something that needs to be reflected in how our friendships are acted on. Um, so, yeah. Do you think that our cultural narrative, at least how we view friendship, do you think it's different? Do you think loyalty is viewed differently? Yeah, I think the culture it misdefines what friendship is in general, because like in my opinion, if if your friendship breaks apart, you know, because of someone not being loyal to the other, because mm-hmm. like, you know, someone gets ahead and you stab somebody, then I would say that you were never really like a true, like the friendship there, you might have been a true friendship, but you, lo- you no longer have that true friendship with that person if you're willing to, you know, completely leave them behind and forget about them like they were never part of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, if you want to call that a friendship, then I would probably say that we have different definitions of it. Um, so that's why I think the difference is, I think, you know, I think society may confuse or misdefine what friendship actually is, mm-hmm. if, that's the, if that's the case. Um, because I think a true friendship is one that that's not going to happen, where you know, you're not going to have people that are going to be stabbing each other in the back or, you know, Ruth leaving Naomi behind and saying, okay, you know, you're right, I'm out of here, mm-hmm. have a good life. Um, you know, instead, they, you see them stick together. So, mm-hmm. as we'll see in the other examples later For on. For sure, too. yeah. And that's what, like, Ruth, she doesn't just get to Israel and with Naomi. The rest of the story goes on that she is out in the fields working so that she's able to provide for Naomi and God's provided through that. So it's it's a really, again, it's a really cool story. If you haven't read Ruth for yourself or you haven't read it in a while, definitely go read it for yourself. Um, but as Charlie was mentioning, this really does, this idea goes against the cultural narrative of what friend, what loyalty and friendship looks like. And it's when you go through hard times, when you go through difficult times, it's someone who's going to always be there by your side, you know? And I think that some people see that, that point of friendship, like I want someone who's going to be there through and through with me. But if we fail to be that type of person, then we also have to we yeah, worry I think about that too. We like to have people there when we're in the difficult times because mm-hmm. no one likes to be alone when they go through difficult difficult things. But it's more difficult when you're in good times to necessarily see that person in the same mm-hmm. way in the same light because we have this selfish idea of friendship where it's, you know, what can I get out of this relationship yeah. and how does this relationship benefit me? You may not admit that, but that may actually be your intention behind being friends with that mm-hmm. person. Um, Perhaps was, even like with a marriage when you have that honeymoon phase perhaps yeah. you even have a friendship honeymoon phase where everything's everything's peachy in everybody's life they give yeah. you nice gifts all that type of stuff when are you going to be where are you going to be when that person becomes depressed 
mm-hmm. or really anxious or a parent dies or something like that? Are you going to be there with them or did you only like them uh, when they were nice and bubbly and all that stuff? Yeah. So well, that's a good point. Yeah. So there you go. Loyalty goes beyond the honeymoon phase. That goes into marriage too. I the guess honeymoon some phase in a friendship. Honeymoon phase of friendship. <laughs> all right. <I'm> patenting. <laughs> Sticker. All right. <laughs> so... Uh, the second example we have, uh, we I think we use this example in bibl- biblical masculinity, mm-hmm. but we're going back to the well again because it's awesome. So 1 Samuel 20, uh, just the next book over, 1 Samuel 20, we have our great friends of David and Jonathan. Uh, so I'm only going to read a couple verses here, uh, 1 Samuel 20, 12 through 17. It says, And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you, as he has been my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from the house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. I wanted to mention the story of Ruth, which is why we put loyalty first, and I like going in, in mm-hmm. chronological order. But an important aspect of friend, uh, friendship and where it like, really lodges is love. And that's what we see pretty clearly and pretty evidently that David and Jonathan have for each other. Um, and one of the cool things about love, I think, in this story in particular, is that Jonathan had every reason to hate David, just as David had every reason to hate Jonathan. Jonathan is the prince. Uh, He should be the heir, uh, according to how things naturally went, but Saul had goofed it up, so now David was going to be on the throne. He's the anointed one currently. So they should be butting heads. They should be at war with one another. Jonathan trying to take the kingdom away, uh, David trying to cling to it. We don't see that between these characters. We see Jonathan loving him so deeply that he is willing to oppose his own dad, the king, for the pres- uh, preservation of his friend. Uh, and I, I love that about this story as well. Um, <clears throat> so friendship, again, it is, it is forged in love. Uh, it is unconditional love. It is selfless love. It's not about me. It's not about what I get out of this relationship. It's about how can I serve this other person? How can I lift them up? Um, and this is uh, another type of thing that where the where friendship kind of friendship breaks a lot of the rules love breaks a lot of the rules uh there's i mean even for us to run this podcast together in 2021 uh just a couple of years ago like we 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 don't even acknowledge this sometimes but like 50 to 60 years ago this would have been unheard of this would be ridiculous um but charlie is a close friend of mine and a brother because mutual love for jesus and love for each other 
And that's what that's what makes friendship work. That this may be against the rules. And there are probably still people who don't approve on both sides of the black-white spectrum, don't approve of us doing stuff and hanging out as much as we do. But we do, because it's not about what other people think. It's about what God thinks. Right? So, friendship breaks rules. Not God's rules. It breaks rules. <laughs> uh, so, I, I do want to bring up this point before we uh, get into some other subjects. But... I think that the most important thing about having being in a friendship between loyalty and love, it's also this relationship with Jesus. And that doesn't mean, at least from my perspective, I don't think that means you shouldn't have friends that are non-Christians because I think you should. How are you going to bring people the gospel if they don't know that you care about them? Um, but I do think there's a lot of danger in when your friends that are closer to you are the ones who are not Christians, um, who don't have the same core values and beliefs as you. So do you think that's also a danger if your friends Yeah, are I mean, <clears throat> I've obviously had really close friends that were not Christians um, that have come and gone from my life. And then I've obviously had, you know, very good friends like you who are Christians. And we have that mutual relationship between us and the Lord. And then we have that with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that brings important thing of like, you know, you're typically friends with people that you have things in common with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a big thing for us as Christians that we have in common is that mutual love for Jesus. So it helps our relationship develop more. Um, But is there a danger in surrounding yourself by really close friends or or even maybe just like one really, really close friend that is a non-Christian? I think it can present problems that wouldn't necessarily be there if that person was a Christian. Mm -hmm. I think it could potentially lead to something beautiful where you're able to, you know, help bring that person to Jesus. Um, but depending on you and the situation, right, it could it could just as easily go in the opposite direction. Um, you know, there's nothing better that, you know, when, when I'm going through something difficult and I call on my friend, like the first thing my friend wants to do is like pray with me about it. Or it gives me advice based off of things that God has said, you know, for that situation. Because it's so encouraging. And if I were to call, you know, one of my you know non-Christian friends and tell them the same thing, that's not the first place that they're going to go to. Uh, I remember that very specifically, like when my mom first got diagnosed with cancer, you know, I tell some of my friends that were Christians and the first thing they would, you know, want to do is, you know, pray about it mm-hmm. or um, at least say that they were going to pray about it, which if you tell people you're going to pray for somebody, do it. Do it. Uh, otherwise, you don't want to. But um, <laughs> they would say that or we would say a prayer out there together. And the amount of comfort that I would got that I would get out of that is it was was amazing. But when I would tell my non-Christian friends the same news, or they would find out and they would come talk to me about it, it was usually was more of like, well, I hope the best for her or, you know, good luck to her. And that, and that was pretty much it. Because there's really nothing else they can say other mm-hmm. than, you know, well, I'm hope, I hope that she gets better. Like, because that's all they have. Um, just general hope or general luck and not in anything specific, not mm-hmm. really grounded in anything. And so for me, that was a big difference between the two. And it helped kind of put things into perspective as to who I really wanted to have as friends. Um, and the temptation was also there as well, you know, to do things with them that I probably shouldn't or wouldn't otherwise do uh, wouldn't otherwise do with um, people that weren't. So mm-hmm. I think it's okay, but I think you have to be careful. Yeah. You know, you don't want that relationship to go to the point where it pulls you away from God whatsoever. Exactly. And that's what we, I don't want to discourage. Any way I spoke, didn't want to completely discourage being friends with people who are out in the world because they need help. Right. They need your prayers. Um, you know, they need to know that you actually care and you love them yep. too. So I don't want to totally discourage it, but just be aware, like if their influence is causing you to, 
change your perspectives about things that God has said and stuff like that. So there's a balance, as we also point out quite a few, quite a lot on this show as well. Um, <clears throat> so friendship is close, it's intimate. So we have to be aware that the people who are close and intimate with us in this friendship bond, we have to make sure that we are uh, being a good influence, being making sure that we are loyal and loving towards one another. But this doesn't entitle everything that friendship is, of course. Uh, We're going to take a really quick break, and when we return, we're going to be looking in the New Testament and talking about some other characteristics of biblical friendship that probably aren't the most fun. We'll be right back. Friendship can have the stereotypical good factors of love and loyalty. Those are awesome. Who wouldn't want love and loyalty? But friendship also comes with uh, the more not nice things, to put it that way. Um, Our next example about friendship, what true biblical friendship looks like, is going to come out of the book of Galatians in chapter 2. So in Galatians chapter 2, we have Paul defending his Uh, apostleship. Uh, It's also very well known for the first chapter where he goes off on the Galatians. Who hath bewitched you? Who has turned you away from the gospel so quickly? Uh, As we get into Galatians chapter 2, he talks about, again, the defense of his apostleship, that I've been with the apostles, I learned from them, I've been taught by them, they've accepted me, all that type of stuff. Uh, But we also see that Paul doesn't agree with all the apostles on everything because one of them needs to be corrected. So that's where our little story comes from here. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews accepted uh, hypocritically along... Uh, The rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? All right. So, Peter and Paul, while they don't have a very long drawn out friendship or anything like that they do have a bond they are apostles they have seen one of the i mean relative to the entire human race one of the few witnesses of jesus's actual resurrection um they have a bond but just because peter is an apostle and one of the first apostles it does not mean that he was perfect uh they're men just like us so what we see is that peter acts hypocritically and paul sees the need to call him out, not just, you know, uh, I don't know, sometimes we can kind of like tap, but like call him out to his face in front of other people too. He had led people astray. We talked about Barnabas, how much I love Barnabas. This is an example of Barnabas being led astray by somebody else's example. Um, and Barnabas shouldn't have acted, acted hypocritically, um, but we see that Peter's influence causes a lot of other people to stumble as well. So what he does, he's misleading people, he's acting hypocritically, what he did was wrong. Friendship is not meaning that 
you never tell your friends that they're wrong. That you never say, hey, I don't think God approves of that. Here's my scripture for that or anything like that. And that's kind of a friendship that is world-built, I think. Where you don't really tell your friends what they need to hear. You just tell them. You pat them on the back. You're like, you know, just keep going. You know, all that stuff. You do you. Real friendship, real love, real care, real loyalty tells you that when you mess up, you need to repent. You need to fix what you've done. You need to uh, apologize. You need to stop gossiping. You need to stop being angry. All that type of stuff. Um, And that's part of what makes it difficult to be friends with people who aren't Christians. Because you can't really hold them to the same standard that you are supposed to be living to. That you can tell them, oh, that's not a wise decision. That wouldn't be the best thing. That's not what I would do. But at the same time, they're not going to have the same standard of this is what is right and this is what is wrong. But when you have Christian friends, it is our responsibility. If we see them messing up, we need to tell them, don't mess up anymore. You need to repent for this and all that type of stuff. And uh, for more reference, you can also go to our Judge Not podcast where we talk about proper judgment there. Um, So this is a, a very interesting story to see. Paul call out Peter like this, but we can see later, especially Second Peter, at the end of that, that their relationship is clearly, you know, Peter sees his writings as authoritative, as scriptural, as inspired by God. Uh, they both go to their deaths talking about Jesus, believing in him. So we can't, we don't assume that their relationship is really shattered by this because of, I think, Peter's repentance and humility. Uh, but it shows us that we need to Talk about when stuff goes wrong. When someone does something wrong, we can't just sit on the sidelines and let it go. So, do you have any other thoughts about that, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, and I think, like you said, we see, even if you just read the verses before this, right, that's when Paul talks about the, the, the hand that was extended to him and to Barnabas by the apostles when they found out that, mm-hmm. you know, Jesus had appointed Paul to be, you know, one of them, and they accepted him gladly to be that. You know, there wasn't any hatred there, um, you know, we oftentimes like to paint kind of like a little, uh, little drama between Paul and Peter. Sometimes, like you know, I sometimes mm-hmm. will think that because of stories like this. And then when Peter, he's like, oh, Paul's writing's hard to understand. <laughs> like you kind of see them jabbing at each other. But you know, in reality, the situation, right? They were both apostles, and they both recognized that. And I think that they, there was a friendship and a bond that was there, like you said. Um, <clears throat> we don't have a whole lot of stories on it. This is one of the ones that we have. Um, but you don't see Paul shy away from doing what he needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few examples in the New Testament of them, uh, of situations like this. You know, we think of like Apollos when he had to be corrected. Um, but the thing with that, or when like Paul got mad at John Mark, you know, you don't hold Apollos and John Mark probably in the same light that you hold mm-hmm. Peter. Because Peter was, you know, that's Jesus' like best friend. Like, that's, you know, you think about him a lot of times, right? Peter, out of anybody, should have known that what that specifically was was wrong because he's the one that got the original vision Mm -hmm. from Jesus about the Gentiles being equally a part of this and Mm -hmm. went to Cornelius after. So if anybody should have known, it should have been him. Uh, Now, Paul had probably at this point now spent more time with Gentiles. And so, uh, you know, too much backstory. But but, but the overall is, you know, again, you, uh, you get to see... Two people that had a bond that was different than probably anybody else would have been other than other apostles. Uh, and even they don't shy away from, you know, making sure that God's authority mm-hmm. is, is there. Again, something that you could, you can do that with friends that we were talking about before who aren't Christians. It's going to be a bit more difficult um, than it would be if, it, you know, it's completely different than, you know, me correcting you as a brother in Christ mm-hmm. for something that you're doing that's unchristlike. 
is so far different than how I would have to do that with someone that wasn't a Christian at all that doesn't know Jesus at all. Because mm-hmm. for Paul, it's more of a you should know better. But you know you can't really do that with somebody who's not a Christian. Yeah, they don't know so. better. So. Uh, my two things I just want to dot, kind of put on this before we head out. Uh, so one is if you really love and care someone about somebody, if they are doing something that is sinful that they need to repent for, you will tell them that they need to repent for it. Um, because mm-hmm. if you really if you really love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. And I think sometimes we're like, well, I'm risking hurting the friendship. Maybe you are. And that probably is a place that that person needs to work on their heart or you need to work on the way that you say something. Uh, Regardless of what it is, correction is a part of friendship and we need to take that seriously. Uh, Number two, if you aren't friends with somebody, particularly like in your congregation, and then you go up to them and you're like, I don't really appreciate what you're doing about X and Y and Z. And honestly, why should they listen to you? If you haven't gone out of your way to try to be friends with them, you haven't tried to encourage them and strengthen them, uh, they're your siblings in Christ, but they should also be your friends. Uh, If you haven't gone out of your way to know that and the first thing you're going to talk to them about is where you think that they're wrong, uh, I think you're putting yourself in a very odd situation. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that you are showing your love and your care and your compassion about someone before you go and correct them so that they know when they, this person's coming to correct me, they're doing it out of compassion and love for me instead of just uh, judgment before they even know who I am. So, yeah. And to that, I would say as well, you know, if you if you are friends with the person and you want to use the excuse of, well, it will hurt the friendship, I will just say this to you then as well. You know, how much more sad will it be when you get to heaven someday and that person's not there with you mm-hmm. because they were living in sin and they were never told that mm-hmm. you know if you really want to be friends with that person and you want to be friends with them for eternity right then it's just as much a responsibility on you to help them get there as it is for them to help you for sure and vice versa how sad would it be if you weren't in heaven and you looked over and saw your friend was there and you guys were on opposite ends like mm-hmm. that could have been fixed by you or at least helped by you or that other person is a friend correcting mm-hmm. you so how much do you have to hate somebody to not want to tell them about jesus mm-hmm. and help them get to heaven that's someone told that to me one yeah, time, yeah. and that's always really stuck with me. Sure. So, if you really love them, if you really care about them, then you're going to help them get to heaven. So, mm-hmm. so friendship again, it's it's a difficult thing, and if your friendship is so, if I honestly want to put it this way, if it's so <clears throat> weak that it's going to be offended by things of scripture, uh, probably possibly not a friendship you should be in in the yeah. first place. So. I think that could lead us to something, a really positive thing too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess we could talk about this in the end as well, but a really good thing that you can work on with your friendships that will help you with this is like, I know you've talked about in your lessons before and we've heard about it too, is like accountability partners. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the best people to be an accountability partner for you would be a friend Mm -hmm. because who would you rather be corrected by? Like a friend or just some random person like you were saying? I feel like it's going to hurt a little less. If it comes from someone that you know, or you're going to be more likely to listen to them if it's from somebody that actually knows you and really knows who you are and how you are and can also say it in the right way, too, because they know you and can correct you in the right way as well. And so, you know, if you want to work on that with your friends, you know, I would I would maybe suggest talking to that person and maybe becoming a good accountability partner. Yeah. So very important to have those lots of situations. So, All right. Anything else on this story on Galatians? All right. So 
like Paul, oppose your friends if they're doing something unchristlike. All right, that is an important aspect of friendship. And our final point that we want to make about friendship is that friendship requires sacrifice. Uh, possibly one of the more uh, well-known passages about sacrifice and what it means to serve it comes out of uh, Philippians, which is one of my favorite books. And chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages. And Charles is going to read the first four verses of this, and we're going to talk about it here a little bit. <clears throat> so, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Mm. <clears throat> Hurts me every time. <laughs> uh, so much of our world is driven by me-centric uh, attitudes. And as I was mentioning earlier with my birthday parties when I was younger, it's like I want the people who are going to bring me a ton of gifts and really expensive gifts and super nice things. Um, Again, that's not a picture of what friendship looks like. And rather what it looks like is when I come, I guess you want to put it in this way, when I come to your birthday party, what can I offer you? Um, it's about what you give, mm -hmm. what you give up. And the example that he ultimately tells us to look to at the end of chapter two, not only is it Jesus, he uses the example of himself, and they use the example of Timothy and another brother, Epaphroditus. And all of these are people who are either dying for their sake or have died for their sake or have gone out of their way, done all these things to serve them because that is what a Christian does. That is what a friend does. And Jesus, who is willing to call us among his friends, um, what he did is he laid down his life for us. So what can we do but that for one another? And uh, so as he begins this, he talks about if, if you've received any encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and if you are in Christ, if you are in a body of Christ, then you do have these things. So to confirm what, uh, what Paul is trying to say to them, what you need to do is serve. Now look about what I get out of the situation. What do I get out of this friendship if they don't have money, if they don't have all the time in the world for me, all this other type of stuff? It's about what I can give to them. How can I assist them? How can I serve them? Um, and this requires, as he mentions, humility. Pride destroys so many things in our world. It destroys all sorts of relationships. All you need to go is look at a celebrity or an athlete and see what pride has done to their life, how it's wrecked their life. But as Christians, we're called to be humble. And that means that our friendships are going to be based upon humility and based upon how I could serve you, not how I am served by you. Um, very common thing that's going around on Facebook. You wouldn't know this, I guess. But uh, <laughs> going around on Facebook is, uh, you know, it's the quote is, don't cross a puddle for, or don't cross an ocean for someone who won't cross a puddle for you. But then they have the flip side of, no, you need to do that because Christ did it for you. And that, I think that fits really well. That even if someone isn't willing to serve you, you need to be willing to serve because it's not about you. Uh, so, again, very hurtful passage to me because I realize how often um, I fail at this. Do you have any other thoughts on, on that, Charles? Well, it's tough to add any more to that. <laughs> I think you summed it up really nicely. So, uh, yeah, it's about how we serve. And Jesus, it's about how we serve. 
Um, and friendship, uh, just to bring back all the things that we've talked about, it is not a walk in the park. It is not easy. Uh, it's loyalty, especially when times are difficult. It's love when it's uncomfortable. It's telling the truth to somebody when they're in sin and telling them to repent because they need to it. And they need to. And it's sacrifice and willing to be a servant at all times. So, not easy, but required and necessary uh, if we want to be true followers of Jesus. So, how does it look like to be a true friend, a true biblical friend in our lives? talked about biblical friendship. We've given four things that we think uh, point to biblical friendship and how it's supposed to look like. Now let's make it apply. Let's let's talk about how we can work through this week and become better friends uh, towards one another. So uh, did you have a question you want to ask me before or do you want to just talk about that later? Oh, we can talk about that. I'll save that for the All right. Sounds good. All right. So my three little pieces of advice that I want to give about biblical friendship uh, Number one, stop holding grudges. This is one that I've really struggled with because uh, I can be petty. And uh, one example I can give is a dude ran into me at camp one time. And I did a backflip. We were playing ultimate. I went up. I reached and smacked into my legs and I went down. It was an accident. Like it was a total accident. Smashed my face and all this type of stuff. So it didn't feel good. Uh, I don't even know if I got concussed. I don't know. Whatever happened. (laughs) But for like four years, I held a grudge against this dude who had been nothing but nice to me ever since then. We went to college together, and he was super nice to me then, all this type of stuff. And then I realized that I was literally holding a grudge against this person for zero reason. And for that, and I wasted two years, or the four years that we knew each other, I wasted that time over a grudge that did not matter. Um, and that's how... That's how dumb grudges are. That's how bad holding stuff in can be. Because he's an encouragement. He's also a preacher as well. He's a great guy. But um, I wasted that time. So grudges destroy all sorts of things. And we have to be reminded that we cannot be stuck on these grudges. Because they are useless and not helpful. And they do not display the love nor the loyalty that we should be showing towards one another. So... Don't hold grudges. That's a terrible way to be a friend. Uh, Number two is to be there and to be honest. Um, I think that it's important, especially for people who are struggling with mental illness and stuff like that, Uh, particularly for me, if I'm going to have pretty bad anxiety or depression, it's going to be later at night. Um, And I understand that there's a lot of struggles with you know, you don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. Nobody wants to do that. But if someone really needs you, you need to make sure that your ringer's on for them. Uh, because sometimes they just need you late at night. Um, and if they just need you for something else at this time, I was even talking about this a little bit earlier, or thinking about it a little bit earlier. But if someone is struggling with an issue, if they're struggling uh, with something, and they're like, hey, I need a distraction, 
you need to be willing to be there and say, okay, let's go do something. Let's go get something to eat. Let's just go talk, whatever. Um, just being there. And if they just need a phone call for a couple minutes, it's important to just be there. Uh, and then also to be honest. So if someone messes up with you, uh, they mess up, they break their covenant, they break their vows, they do something, whatever. Um, you should be there and be like, you know, I love you. I care about you. Um, thank for the grace of God. Thank you that you're in my life. Uh, but you also need to repent of this. You need to fix this. You need to work through this. And, um, and I'll be there for you during this process. But we also have to not shy away from when something is wrong. And we can't just fail to call it out. So be there and be honest. Those are both necessary. And then finally, just fitting into the last one where we talked about service to one another. And this one is just simply to be selfless. That if your friendship is all about what I can get from this person or what I have gotten from this person or they've got money, therefore I can probably get a nicer present from them. Whatever else goes through your mind, it should be driven by um, how can I serve this person? What about their life could I donate of myself to help them? Because uh, everyone's got a strength. Everyone has a God-given grace, a God-given gift. How can you use that gift that's given by God in order to help somebody else? That's friendship. And I think that needs to be emphasized. So, recapping all those. Don't hold grudges. They're dumb. Be there and be honest. So important because people need all sorts of help. And true friends are going to be there. And then be selfless because it's not about you. Just as Jesus didn't make it about himself, he made it about you. You need to do the same. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah thoughts on that, Charlie? I mean, the only thing that I would add to that would be on the be there, be honest. I would also add a be open to. Mm. Or don't be afraid to be open. Because um, the only way your, your relationship with them is going to really get deeper is when you're willing to be vulnerable. Mm. Right? Uh, it's one thing to just be there with them, but it's another thing to be there and actually open up to that person and talk to them. So don't be afraid to to be open with other people to, to talk about them. Uh, and then the other one I would add would be don't be afraid to start being friends with somebody mm. new. Um I know, like, I was, like, literally the kid in kindergarten who would walk up to somebody and be like, hey, you want to be friends? And then, boom, we're friends. Um, but that's not really how uh, things work, I don't think, as an adult. I mean, I guess you could. I probably would be the person that would walk up to someone and be like, let's be friends. Um, but don't be afraid to start that relationship. Uh, and it's awkward and it's difficult at first to start. And you start slow and you slowly build something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but don't be afraid to, to you know. If you're looking at your life right now and you're saying, man, I just, I just don't have any really good friends. Um, well, then don't be afraid to, you know, go and try to find one. Mm-hmm. Um, you never know what you're going to have in common with somebody. The only way you're going to find out is by starting to have conversations with them. Absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, all that being said, uh, the, the, the kind of the last question that I have, you know, for you, and I want to get your opinion on this is, do you think there is such a thing as having too many friends? Uh, too many really close, if we're using what our definition of a friend is, mm. you know, a super deep relationship. Do you think you can have too many friends where it could become a distraction or to where you're kind of like a master of none, where you have a lot of friends, but not really any personal friends because you're so focused on so many different relationships? Gotcha. Should you be seeking to have this kind of friendship with everybody or should you... You know, be, you know, general friends with everybody and just, you know, choose one or two people to be really, really deep with. You know, let me get your yeah, thoughts yeah. on that. Uh, <clears throat> so I think that you should have a close, at least some sort of inner circle for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one is Jesus. He's got his 12 disciples, but he also has uh, 
three of the close ones, Peter, James, and John, are like closer. So when you know he's praying in Gethsemane, he asks them to come with him. When he goes up on the Mount Transfiguration, it's those three who go with him. So it's not saying that the other disciples are less important or anything like that, but these are the ones that he's closest to. So using the example of Jesus, I think it's important to have like three, maybe four close friends that you talk to. I think it's also wise to have those close friends because then you can talk about some of those struggles that aren't um, maybe as taboo, I guess. Mm -hmm. So if everybody knows your business, that can be distracting. Uh, And I think that we need to be working towards a place where we can be less judgmental and more, you know, if someone is really fighting with temptation, they're fighting with sin, we should welcome them in, we should bring them in, all that type of stuff. But we need to be also... Uh, wise and how we spread that information. If we just go out and tell everybody all this type of stuff, people are going to look at you differently. And people are going to be, you know, they shouldn't be, but they will be rude and unkind. So you have to be very aware of um, the the temptations and the struggles that you might be bringing to other people's mm-hmm. lives. Uh, so I think it's important to have close friends for that reason as well. And uh, finally, I think it's just kind of especially for someone like me i would feel so guilty if i feel guilty if like one of my friends just you know if they didn't maybe they had a birthday party and they you know nobody came i don't know what what my deal is with birthdays right now but (laughs) if they had a birthday and nobody came i would feel super guilty about it even if i had an entire day's work to be doing all that type of stuff i had no time at all whatsoever um when you have those close friends, that means that you can be there for them in these situations. But if you have everybody as your close friend, you're going to overextend yourself. You're going to stress yourself out. You're going to make yourself anxious because you can't serve everybody. You should make it your goal to serve uh, serve your friends and especially the close friends. But if you are always pouring yourself out and you never not only are filled yourself, um, you, that can lead to some pretty bad situations for you and your mental health and all that type of stuff. So, have a have, a, have friends, but have close friends too. So. I think it's really good advice, and I, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. And that's what the other thing is like your your friends that are in your inner circle. Not that you just help them, but they're going to help you too. Yeah. So, I think that's important. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about friendship? That's it. All right. Go make a new friend this week. Get close to them. It'd be pretty cool. It won't be as good as trying. And you haven't reached out to him in a while. Reach out to him. That's true. I need to do that. (laughs) I mean to. You got someone you're holding a grudge against? Let it go. Yes, let it go. For forgive. Well, even well, my case, it was just dumb. (laughs) Anyways, thank you guys again for listening to the Pilgrim Song. Uh, We will have our website, Lord willing, up on Friday. We will let you know about that information. Thank you guys again for listening, and we appreciate you so much. Hope you have a blessed week, and we will see you next time.